Hello and welcome to Camp Ridgers, the Dakota Rustler Show. I am your host, Daryl Rutt. Today's news stories include Pornhub ending business in certain states, Minnesota felons getting some voting rights back, is hydrogen power really green, and more. But first, a major announcement for those who watch this on YouTube. Starting with this episode, the Dakota Rustler Show will no longer be recorded to YouTube, barring certain circumstances. I've been doing the research and thinking about this for a while. What it basically boils down to is this. The podcast experts generally agree that very few podcasters succeed at both audio and video. And unless the video actually adds significant content to the audio version, such as a how-to video or visual comedy, it's best just to stick with audio. So that's what I'm going to do. In addition, a lot of YouTube watchers just play the video in the background while multitasking at something else that are not watching the video anyway. They can easily do that via my Buzzsprout account, you know, multitasking. So that's what I'm going to do. And my Buzzsprout.com link also has links to other providers such as Spotify, iHeart, and all the other about one dozen formats. So that's what the Dakota Rustler show is going to do in the near future. YouTube is on indefinite hiatus as of this point. With that important update now stated, let's get to the news. News story number one. UN aid agencies recently voiced alarm at the scale of ongoing Israeli military operations in the West Bank town of Jenin, where 12 Palestinians have been killed, saying there were also restrictions on medical access. The operation, which involved drone strikes and hundreds of troops and was one of the largest of its kind in years, prompted the evacuation of thousands of people from a refugee camp. Even Biden has been showing concerns with Israel's aggressive tactics. So yes, like a broken analog clock, even President Alzheimer's gets things right on occasion. Damage to infrastructure caused by airstrikes have cut off most of the water and electricity at the refugee camp. The Red Cross said it was extremely concerned by the alarming intensification of armed violence in Janine. The World Health Organization and medical charity MSF both raise concerns about access. Attacks which include restrictions in place by Israeli forces meant that first responders could not reach those critically injured within the camp. In addition, military bulldozers had destroyed roads leading to the camp, making it nearly impossible for ambulances to reach the patients. Palestinian paramedics have been forced to proceed on foot in an area with active gunfire and drone strikes. Israel says the objective of its operation is to uproot Iranian-backed Palestinian factions behind a surge in gun and bomb attacks, as well as preliminary efforts to make rockets. 
I've made it known in the past and I will continue to do so until we see the Israeli government for who they are, not the people, the government. They kill Palestinians by an 8 to 1 ratio for the littlest of attacks. They destroy the homes of Palestinians simply suspected of attacks with no due process. They continue to take lands in strict violation of international law, leaving Palestinians with about 25% of the land they once had. Who are the thugs in the Middle East? Eh, pretty much everyone, but it includes Israel. It's time to end military aid. S new story number two. Pornhub is now blocking people in Mississippi and Virginia from visiting its website over laws that would require the service to verify their age. Good. There need to be laws that deny access to minors. In my day, you couldn't just walk into a newsstand, if you remember what they were, and purchase a Playboy or a penthouse without proving your age. The company says it's blocking users to protest unfair enforcement of these new laws, claiming that sites enforcing the new rules will lose traffic to irresponsible platforms that don't follow the law and don't take user safety seriously. and that often don't even moderate content. Excuse me, Pornhub, but that's a lame excuse for allowing access to minors on your sites. Traffic dropped by 80% after it began enforcing age verification in Louisiana earlier this year. After that experience, it decided to start taking its sites offline instead of enforcing an age gate. In May, it blocked access to users in Utah over a similar law. Hmm, I guess that means the laws are actually doing as intended, a rarity in government. Maybe porn watchers will have to go back to analog magazines and DVDs. Well, what a shame. Age verification laws generally require that adult websites verify their visitors' ages in a manner that's more rigorous than having them check a box saying they're over 18. That can include checking government-issued IDs. The Electronic Frontier Foundation has pushed back against age verification mandates, criticizing the laws as surveillance systems. Once information is shared to verify age, there's no way for a website visitor to be certain that the data they are handing over is not going to be retained and used by the website, or further shared or even sold. Uh, here's a novel idea. Just don't watch porn. Get it the old-fashioned way. But here's a better idea. It allows for complete freedom. 
pass a law that all porn sites available in in the United States can only have a new XXX extension. If you do that, parents who are actually good at parenting can then block the extension on their children's electronic devices. Is that a perfect answer? Of course not, but it's a heck of a lot better than today's free-for-all. New story number three. On the 1st of June, Kevin Reese signed his voter registration papers, a possibility that felt remote due to more, due to the more than 14 years he spent locked up inside of Minnesota correctional facilities. While in prison, Reese and the other men talked about the responsibilities that awaited once they got outside children, parole, taxes, and more. In 2013, Reese said they began to focus on extending the right to vote to formerly incarcerated Minnesotans. In other words, taxation without representation. You're paying taxes, but yet you can't vote. That's not constitutional. I have long been a proponent of when your time has been served, you get all your rights back, especially voting. I'm even a believer that jailed felons should have every right to vote. Most have families. Many have children. Why can't they vote for politicians who they believe will benefit their families? Reese, now the executive director of the Minnesota Organization Group, Until We Are All Free, is one of more than 55,000 people who gained a right to vote after Minnesota's governor, Tim Walls, signed a bill restoring voting rights to people with felony convictions. You know, chalk one up for the Democrats. Ding, ding, you got a winner. Reset his organization is focusing on hosting community events to get the word out about expanded voting rights in the state. Prison is a fraternity, he says, and I spent close to 15 years there. So unfortunately, I know a whole lot of people in this situation. In other states that have implemented felon reenfranchisement laws, voter registration among eligible voters with felony convictions remain low despite their new legal status. An investigation by the Marshall Project found that less than 25% of newly eligible voters in Nevada, Kentucky, Iowa, and New Jersey had registered by the 2020 election. But, you know, why they don't do that could be a whole new story. I don't have time to get into that here. In Florida, where voters overwhelmingly approved a similar measure in 2018, Republican lawmakers undermined efforts to restore voting rights to people with felonies by passing additional legislation requiring people to pay off any fines associated with their sentence before voting. So I suppose if one's fines are large enough and virtually impossible to pay back, that person still remains screwed. That's not correct. With that, it's time to take a break. I'll be back in about 40 seconds. For all things Dakota Rustler related, please visit dakotarustler.org. 
The website contains links to media sites, a merchandise store, and a button to donate to the show. Your support helps to pay for expenses of production, as well as research time. Feedback is appreciated, and comments or topic ideas can be sent to the email address listed on the website. Sponsorships are also available if you have a business to promote. Now, back to the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Dakota Rustler Show. Before I proceed with the last two stories, I just want to do a few quick shout-outs to Danheim and to Vinny Camilleri, who provide the music for the show, and to Arbel Kimmick, who does all the voiceovers. And I don't know if you can hear it or not, but I've got an airplane flying outside my window for I have no idea why, so... Hopefully, that's not interrupting with this podcast too much. So, let's get into the final two stories. New story number four. Is hydrogen power really green? The Biden administration's climate agenda is facing an unexpected challenge in drought-prone Corpus Christi, Texas, where a proposed clean hydrogen hub would require the installation of energy-intensive, expensive, and potentially environmentally damaging saltwater desalinization plants. The Gulf Coast port is in the running for a $1 billion federal giveaway under the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. The Biden administration is offering companies up to $100 billion in tax credits and grants to build hydrogen hubs to help reach a target of producing 50 million metric tons of clean hydrogen fuel by 2050. Hydrogen is, supposedly, a low-emissions fuel, but like wind and solar, maybe not as much as we thought. A hydrogen hub would require access to millions of gallons of water, akin to fracking. A challenge in Corpus Christi, which is experiencing a multi-year drought. While local officials say they can provide that water by constructing a seawater desalinization plant, environmental groups, as well as some local residents and lawmakers, are lining up to oppose desalinization sites. You know, I love when the environmental wackos can't agree on what's better for the environment. What's worse, polluting the air or polluting land and water? We already had that with EVs. Burn fossil fuels or mine for toxic elements. Make up your mind. Quote, it makes no sense to create a purported clean energy source that in turn destroys an entire ecosystem, threatens other economies reliant on a healthy base system, and usurps the water supply for residents, unquote, according to the Coastal Alliance to Protect the Environment. Wow, even some environmentalists understand what is happening. It must be a terribly cold day in hell today. 
<laughs> Nine of the 33 projects on a Department of Energy shortlist for the hydrogen hubs are in highly water-stressed regions such as Southern California, Colorado, Kansas, New Mexico, as well as Texas. Globally, the picture is even worse. More than 70% of proposed green hydrogen projects are located in water-stressed regions like the Middle East. As a result, this would create demand for more desalinization plants. While the United States already has hundreds of desalinization plants to treat mildly brackish inland sources of water, transferring salty ocean water back into fresh waters carries higher risk. Pumping the briny byproduct of desalinization into Corpus Christi Bay could cost the fishing industry around $6 million per year by killing off seafood species like shrimp and Atlantic croaker. The Poseidon plant near San Diego, California, the country's largest seawater desalinization plant, costs an expensive $1 billion to build and requires nearly $275 million in upgrades to meet updated state rules to protect marine life that can get sucked into the intake pipes or be affected by the briny discharge from the plant. Why is it that the more we learn about green energy, the more we learn, oftentimes, it isn't much better, if at all? We are humanity. Consuming resources pollutes. Trading one pollution for another is not necessarily the correct answer. As long as humanity continues its population growth, the more we need to conserve and invest in products that use less energy. Zero emissions is a fallacy. Zero harm to the environment is a fallacy. And last but not least, new story number five. Last month, several Republican senators introduced a bill to impose tougher sanctions on the Taliban. It's been a long time since I mentioned sanctions on this show. You know I hate them. They only affect the common man, not those who they target. The Taliban Sanctions Act, introduced by Senator Jim Risch, requires U.S. President Joe Biden to sanction the Taliban for their terrorist activities, drug trafficking, and human rights abuses. Like additional sanctions will actually end any of that. Although the bill correctly highlights the Taliban's undeniable human rights violation, it is utterly misguided. Economic sanctions will only harm the people of Afghanistan, not the Taliban. Instead of introducing new sanctions, existing ones should be lifted immediately. I completely agree with the writer of this article. Growing up under the Taliban's rule, the writer experienced the colossal negative impact of the economic sanctions and isolation. As a five-year-old, he wondered if his parents would have to make the painful decision of selling one of his siblings for the rest of them to survive. Can you imagine that as a parent having to decide whether or not to sell one of your children in order for the rest of your children and you to survive? This is what sanctions do, people. 
Ultimately, my family joined the millions of displaced Afghans, he said, who left their homes in search of a better life. We drove, walked, and rode on donkeys night after night. I would go to bed hungry, waiting for a miracle, but that miracle never came. Only war did. Having survived and studied both war and poverty, I cannot think of a more damaging policy for the Afghan people than economic sanctions against the Taliban. So here's a guy who grew up in poverty due to the Taliban stating that sanctions against the Taliban only make things worse. I've been telling you this for years. The premise of sanctions, that they will weaken the government, is simply not supported by the evidence. A recent review of U.S. sanctions shows that sanctions have been effective only 13% of the time since 1970. In most cases, sanctions have not only failed to achieve their stated goals, but have also backfired, harming U.S. interests. 70 years of sanctions against Cuba have had devastating effects on the lives of innocent Cubans. Regime change, the initial goal of the U.S. sanctions, has yet to be achieved. Sanctions against North Korea have led the country to increase trade with China rather than force the country to abide by Washington's demands. Sanctions against the Taliban lessened U.S. influence and resulted in the Taliban looking for gray and black markets, ones they can find in neighboring countries like China, Russia, and India. Only a year after taking power, the Taliban entered into an agreement with Russia to import Russian petroleum products and wheat to Afghanistan. This is a basic human survival instinct, everybody. If one cannot get something they need one way, they will find another way. If it's an absolute necessity, they will resort to whatever means necessary, even if it's illegal or violent. Proponents of sanctions point to their symbolic value, claiming that lifting economic sanctions against the Taliban might give legitimacy to the group. This is crap. Guess what? Symbolism is the stupidest reason to do anything. Symbolism accomplishes absolutely nothing. It never has, and they never will. It's time to end all sanctions. And with that, I've come to the end of another podcast. You know the mantra, question authority, and always be free. Thank you for listening to the Dakota Rustler Show, a production of DL Root, Buzzsprout.com, and their affiliates. Any unauthorized use of this show is prohibited. Until next time, have a great day, and don't forget to subscribe.